If you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, we're going to be finishing up a section in our study of Colossians that instructs us as followers of Christ and how to exalt Jesus Christ by what we say. See, we've been learning throughout the book of Colossians that Jesus Christ is above all. He is the preeminent one. He is the ruler, the creator, and the sustainer of all things. He is the preeminent one, and therefore in all things he is to be preeminent. We ought to reflect the glory and the majesty and the honor of Jesus Christ by how we as followers of Christ live on a daily basis. And Paul has been instructing us in what that looks like here at the end of Colossians 3 and the beginning of Colossians chapter 4. He showed us first how we are to exalt Christ by what we do. And he did, and he showed us that from Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 into chapter 4 verse 1. But now he is showing us how to exalt Jesus Christ by what we say. You see, the gospel is more than just a lifestyle. It is a message that must be shared. And we are not truly exalting Jesus Christ until our speech starts to reflect the glory that we believe, that we know Jesus possesses. And so, Starting in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, Paul outlines for us how to exalt Christ by what you say. First, to God about men, which we looked at last week in verses 2 through 4, how to exalt Jesus Christ and show him as preeminent, first and foremost, through our prayers. And then, second, as we'll see today, how to exalt Christ by what you say to men about God. In other words, How do we engage in the Great Commission in proclaiming the glory of Christ? How do we engage in the great task of evangelism in a way that reflects the glory, the honor, and the majesty of Jesus Christ above all? How do we proclaim Christ to those around us in a way that reflects the greatness of who He is? And what we're going to see this morning is that we exalt Christ by what we say Two men about God when we strive to have our conversations full of three things. Full of purpose, full of truth, and full of grace. That is how you exalt Christ in your conversations with those around you that do not know Him. You honor Christ in those conversations by making sure that conversation you have with the unsaved individual is full of purpose, full of truth, and full of grace. And so with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 4 starting in verse 2 for context on into verse 6. Hear the Word of God. Colossians 4.2 Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
This is the Word of God who protects us from evildoers so that we might keep the commandments of Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Jesus. We thank You for the truths that we have proclaimed in song this morning. We thank You that all that heaven has to give is found in Christ alone. Father, we thank You for the heavenly, eternal blessings that we have found in Him. That we have worshipped You over this morning. We are blessed in Christ. Father, we all We all have family members. We all have friends. We all have classmates and co-workers that do not know Jesus. Father, work in our hearts so that these truths that we sing about do not remain in these four walls, but that the mouths that profess these truths today would be mouths that proclaim these truths this week. Give us grace, Father, having received the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to proclaim Him to those who need to hear of Him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Paul shows us how to exalt Christ by what we say to God about men, that was in verses 2-4, through He then shows us how to exalt Christ by what we say to men about God. And if we are to exalt Jesus Christ above all by what we say to men about God, then our conversations must be full of purpose. They must be full of purpose. In other words, you don't accidentally evangelize you don't accidentally talk about jesus if you were to share the message of jesus christ you have to purpose in your heart to share it paul says in verse 5 walk in wisdom towards outsiders now that word wisdom means at a very, very, very basic level, it means to live in light of the truth. Okay, If you want a very basic definition of wisdom, it is to live in light of the truth. And so, in terms of our broader context of evangelism and of exalting Jesus Christ by what you say, Paul is teaching here, it all begins by walking in wisdom. If you want to have an effective witness towards the unsaved, towards those around you, then you must not neglect the importance of living skillfully in light of the truth. Now, I think this admonition can be understood both very broadly and very specifically. First, Paul could be saying here very broadly, walk in wisdom. That is, walk in skill, with precision, and with clarity towards those around you. So just like verse 4 taught us that we must speak clearly, here verse 5 is telling us we must all live clearly before the eyes of the lost. And that is absolutely the case. So while that old adage that I kind of jumped on last week, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, is absolutely wrong, right? We talked about that. Words are absolutely necessary if you're going to share the gospel and if the gospel is going to be heard, understood, and embraced by faith. Even though that old adage is wrong, (laughs) 
Another old adage is absolutely right. And that adage is, adage is this. Your actions often speak so loudly I can't hear what you're saying. That is true. In other words, how we live either confirms or denies our verbal testimony concerning what we say, concerning the saving power and supremacy of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that others may see your good work and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's why Peter said over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, they become convinced of the truths you profess by the life you possess. And so Paul here could simply be saying very broadly that our lives are to be living proofs of the truths we profess. But I think Paul is actually emphasizing something very specific here. A specific truth that we as believers are to purposely walk in light of. And that truth is this. That those who are around us who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation are outsiders. As Paul writes here, walk in wisdom towards who? What does it say? I want to hear you say it. Outsiders. Of all the truths that we are to walk in light of, that we are to live in light of, Paul says, start with this one. If you and I are to exalt Jesus Christ by what we say to men about God on a daily basis, and if we are to remain faithful witnesses to Christ as we ought, then you and I must remain ever conscious of this fact that those who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how moral they are, they are outsiders. They are outside the person of Christ and therefore outside the people of Christ. This is the bedrock mindset that we are to have on a daily basis if we are to be purposeful in our relationships with the unsaved. It is by remaining ever conscious of the reality that they are outsiders. Now I think it's very interesting that Paul emphasizes this fact right here in the middle of his discussion about evangelism. Because that perspective that I just mentioned, that those who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ are outsiders, is very unpopular in the American church today. Our sensitivities almost recoil to hear me say that this morning. To call unredeemers, unredeemed outsiders? That is a cardinal sin to most modern churches. No, we cry, right? There's no outsiders or insiders in our church. No, our our church is a place to belong. Put it on a coffee mug, right? And far be it for us as a church to ever tell anyone they're outside of anything. No, our mission as a church is to give those in the world a sense of community and a sense of belonging. After all, that is the most loving thing to do, right? Wrong! That is not the most loving thing to do because it is not true. It is a lie. It is a lie. 
There is no sense of belonging to the people of Christ or the community of Christ when you are still as yet not believing in the person of Christ. And this is what Jesus Himself said in John 10, verse 7 and 9. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved. In other words, you'll go from being on the outside to going on the ins- to being on the inside. But conversely, what Jesus is also teaching there in John 10 is if you don't trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you will remain on the outside. Outside of God's saving person. Outside of God's saving power. Outside of God's saving provision, protection, and promises. Jesus Himself was very clear on this. If you are outside of Christ then you are outside of Christ's body, outside of the sheepfold, outside of the church, and outside of the covenant of grace. It doesn't matter if you're warming a pew this morning. And there is nothing, there is no divine protection, no divine provision, no divine person standing between you and eternal judgment for your sins if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ this morning. Your proximity to other believers is no protection. Your attendance on Sunday morning is no protection. You are as naked and exposed and in danger of everlasting death and destruction as those in Sodom and Gomorrah were alongside the cities of the plains. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation and forgiveness, then there is nothing, absolutely nothing, standing between you and the eternal fires of hell this morning now than simply the mere pleasure of God. Nothing at all. And that is why the Spirit's call to you in Scripture today is this. Run to Christ. Run to Christ. It doesn't matter if your parents are saved. It doesn't matter if your grandparents are saved. It doesn't matter if you have lived in this church your whole life. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Are you in Him? Or are you outside of Him? Run to Christ. Flee from the wrath to come. Scripture says, do not look back. Escape lest you be overcome. For it is appointed unto every man once to die, and after that the judgment. And so Scripture says, seize the day of salvation. Call out now to God on the acceptable hour. Confess to the Lord this moment that you are a sinner and ask Him to forgive you on the merits of Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Have you done that this morning? Are you safe in the refuge of Jesus Christ? Or are you still sitting even right now under the wrath of God? Because if you don't, you're outside the covenant of grace, Scripture teaches. You're outside of eternal blessings, outside of redemption, outside the kingdom of God and of heaven, and ultimately, it's all because you're outside of Christ. In fact, Paul makes this such a clear distinction and division here that it should cause us all this morning to sit up and pay attention. Because, remember, back in chapter 3, Paul was the guy who was railing against divisions and distinctions, if you remember. He said in Colossians 3, verse 11, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, there's no division between those in Christ, but here we see 
that there is absolutely a division between those in Christ and those outside of Him. And that is the only, listen to me, that is the only division and distinction that truly matters. Are you in Jesus? Have you died your sins and been made alive through faith in Him? Have you been born again from above by God's grace? That is the only distinction that truly matters. God will not enter into judgment upon you looking upon your bank account, your church attendance, the color of your skin, the level of your oppression. He will look upon you and according to Romans 2.16 says, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of all men by Christ Jesus. The entire world will be judged one day based on this one sole, single, solitary fact. What is your relation to Jesus? Are you in Him who is the way, the truth, and the life? Or are you outside Him? And that is why I say today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For if you recognize this morning that you are outside of Christ's saving person, outside of Christ's saving promises, and outside of Christ's saving provisions, take heart because you are not outside Christ's saving power. He will save you if you call on Him in faith. He is the door and He is the good shepherd. He will bring you in. He will bring you in. So this is the message, ladies and gentlemen, the unsaved world needs to hear. It's not that they are on the inside. The message the unsaved world needs to hear is that they are on the outside. They are separated from God and alienated from His eternal blessed life. Just as Colossians 1, 13-14 showed us already earlier in this book, those who are around us that we interact with every day are still in the domain of darkness on the outside. And they, just like we, must be redeemed. By God's grace, they must be transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. They must be saved. And that's the good news. Just as Colossians 1-2 through taught, For God has made a way by the blood of the cross by which those who are outside may come in and find in Christ alone eternal freedom, forgiveness, and fulfillment for their souls. This is the message that we are to have in our mind and on our lips in our conversations with the unsaved. That there is absolutely no division or distinctions between those who are in Christ, but there absolutely is a division and distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Him. And that's where I just have to step back and make this comment as I was realizing what this was teaching this week. Isn't it interesting how Satan has caused so many churches to turn that message absolutely upside down? Now churches are teaching there absolutely should be racial, religious, cultural, and socioeconomic divisions and distinctions between those who are in Christ. And there absolutely should not be divisions and distinctions made between those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Him. They've got it completely backwards. And then they wonder why no one in their churches are coming to Christ and no one is witnessing anymore. 
It's because you've destroyed the very foundational mindset that is necessary for evangelism, and that is the overwhelming conviction in the soul that those who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation are outsiders. Outsiders who must be brought in, who must be brought by God's grace to the saving understanding and faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I urge you, Grace Chapel, do not be taken in by Satan's lies, nor lie to one another. As Paul says here in Colossians, we are to exalt Christ by what we say. And if we are, then we must walk in wisdom towards outsiders. We must live continually in light of this truth. That, that, that every friend, every family member, every neighbor, every classmate, every co-worker, that you know who has not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation is someone who is right now outside the kingdom of God and in the domain of darkness. And isn't it interesting that God has put you in their life? Does that change perhaps the level of purpose that needs to be present in the conversations that you have with them? understanding that if they do not awaken by God's grace to their spiritual state through the sharing of the Gospel and enter into Christ, then they are headed to a fate of being eternally cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are the words of Jesus. Do you believe this truth? That they are outsiders. Does that burden you? Does that bother you? As much as it is important in your Christian life to remember your identity in Christ, it is important in your Christian life to remember that their identity is still outside Him. It's more important than how good they are, how moral they are, how they vote in November, or whatever. The most important thing about their life and soul is they are outside of Christ. And God has put you in their life for a purpose. For a purpose. So the application I see from this first point is believing this truth that they are outsiders. How does this call on you to color your interactions with those who are around you this week? Does it not call us to be more purposeful with the fleeting moments God gives us with the lost? To be more purposeful in directing our conversations not towards politics or towards entertainment or the weather but having a purpose to direct that conversation to Christ. If we seek to exalt Christ by what we say to men about God, then we must be more purposeful. This is what Charles Spurgeon wrote. He said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to turn. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let not one sinner we know go unwarned and unprayed for. We must walk in wisdom 
towards outsiders. As we talk to men about God for the glory of Christ, our conversations must be full of purpose. Full of purpose. Second, our conversations must be full of truth. Full of truth. That's where Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And here he's simply developing the point that he just made. In other words, what does it look like when you're walking in wisdom towards outsiders? It looks like if you're walking in wisdom that you're making the best use of the time that you have with them. Now, we're supposed to make the best use of our time as believers anyway, whether we're around unbelievers or not, right? Ephesians 5, 15-16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So we're supposed to make the best use of our time anyway for the glory of God. But especially so when we're around unbelievers. Why? Because time is short and eternity is forever. And your time with that unbeliever is short whether you realize it or not. Yeah, I could talk to this person who I know is not saved for an hour about football or fishing or finances. And I could keep it all very comfortable and carefree. Or I could aim to be full of purpose and try to guide that conversation in another direction towards the truth of Christ and the Gospel. And that's why some translations actually say here redeeming the time. In other words, don't let the opportunity and conversation just drift, right? I mean, we're never supposed to take that approach as Christians anywhere in our lives, are we? Especially so with our conversations with, with unbelievers. Actively seize it and purchase it and claim it for eternity. Because if we're truly walking in wisdom towards outsiders, then we'll start making the best use of the time that we have with them. And what is the best use of the time that you can spend with someone who is captive to Satan's lies? It's to teach them the truth. It's by filling those conversations with truth, the truth that sets men free. So if we're to exalt Jesus Christ above all by what we say to men about God, then our conversations with the lost must be full of purpose and full of truth. That's why Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? Word of Christ. In other words, outsiders can only trust in Christ when the insiders are communicating the truth of Christ. As Luke 1 verse 2 teaches, we become eyewitnesses of Christ when we become ministers of the Word. So if we seek to exalt Jesus Christ by what we say to outsiders, then we must let our conversations not passively drift to eternally pointless things. We must actively, as Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth. That is ever and always our calling as Christians to follow in the footsteps of Christ. See, Christ is not asking us to do anything He Himself has not done. Do you remember a conversation Jesus had with Pilate in John chapter 18? Jesus told Pilate in John 18 verse 37, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world, that I might bear witness to the truth. In other words, that, is, that was why Jesus came into this world, to bear witness to the truth. Guess why you and I are still on it and not in heaven right now? It's so that we would bear witness to the truth. To follow in the footsteps of Christ and to learn to walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of the time. To follow Jesus and learn to make our conversations with the lost full of purpose and full of truth. But there's one other characteristic. Our conversations with unbelievers should be marked by if we are to demonstrate a life that exalts Christ above all. And that's not only purpose and truth, but also grace. 
See, Ephesians 4.15 not only says speak the truth, it also says speak the truth, what? In love, right? And that's why Paul reminds us that our conversation with the lost should not only be full of purpose and full of truth, it should also be full of grace. Look what he writes in verse 6. He says, let your speech, right, that message of Christ talked about in verses 3 through 4, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here Paul transitions to his last exhortation in the book of Colossians, and he addresses simultaneously, I believe, not only the matter of the conversations that we're supposed to have with the unbelievers around us, but also the manner in which we are supposed to have them. So first, Paul, I think here, by talking about let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, I think he's talking about the correct matter or content of the conversations we're supposed to have with outsiders. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. This is very familiar and very similar to what Ephesians 4.29 says when Paul writes, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So that is the fellowship of grace that we talk about quite a bit here at Grace Chapel. It's one of the three pillars of our church. We support our mission as a church of making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ by devoting ourselves together to the Word of Grace, the Throne of Grace, and the Fellowship of Grace. That Fellowship of Grace is what's being talked about right here in Ephesians 4.29 and Colossians 4.6. It is that unbelievable spiritual reality that those that for those of us who are in Christ, our mouths... Listen to this. Can impart divine strengthening grace to those who hear us. That is astonishing. How does that happen? Ephesians 4.25 tells us it's by putting away falsehood and by each one of us speaking the truth with his neighbor. That is how our speech is gracious. It's by the word of God. And there's no other way, by the way. James 3, 2-6 through 6 describes the mouth as a destructive fire, a world of unrighteousness, an area of stumbling for even the most mature believers. That is something to remember when we're talking about exalting Christ by what we say. In light of what James says then about my mouth, I can think of no other way that my mouth, this world of unrighteousness, could ever be a vessel for God's divine strengthening grace to build other people up unless I am speaking the word of grace, as Acts 20.32 says, which is able to build you up. If you think that your words by themselves can impart divine strength to others apart from the truth of God's word, you are sadly mistaken and puffed up. Because the only way our words can ever be truly gracious and seasoned with salt is if our words are sprinkled with the truths of the word of grace. Apart from that, our words are nothing. This is important to make because, make the point of, because this might be a newsflash for some of you, but your personal opinion does not build up someone else's spiritually. Neither can your jokes, your counsel, your life experiences, or your sympathies. And guess what? Our personal opinions, jokes, counsels, life experiences, and sympathies don't impart God's divine grace either. You know the only thing that can? The truth of God's Word. So if you're wanting to be a spiritual encouragement to other believers that are around you, where does it begin? It begins by making sure that the truth of God's Word is sprinkled throughout your speech. 
It alone can give our speech the aroma of grace and can act as a purifying salt. So God's Word alone thoroughly equips us to know how we ought to answer each person. Scripture alone. So I think Paul here is reminding us first of the matter of our conversations. We ought to be talking and sharing the truth of God's Word. But I think Paul is also instructing us as to the manner of our conversations we ought to be having with unbelievers. Having established that our conversations are to be full of purpose and full of truth, how are we to purposely communicate that truth to those who are lost around us? The answer is full of grace. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Look at that. Let your speech always be gracious. That is the command we're supposed to follow. So the question is, what does gracious speech look like? What does gracious speech look like? Some of us think, or are prone by our personality to think, gracious speech is picking up a Bible and chucking it at somebody. Right? Ah, it's full of grace. Right there. That's not what Paul is talking about. What does speech look like when it takes on the characteristics of grace? So there are various ways I could answer that. We could answer that by going back and walking through Colossians 3, 12-14 again and consider again by how God's grace creates hearts and therefore tongues that are marked by Christ-like virtues. Right? So we could ask ourselves, are my conversations with the lost currently marked by compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness as I'm communicating the truth to them? Or is it possible that I might be communicating even the truth out of anger wrath, or malice. So that's one way we could answer that, but I think another way, perhaps clearer, comes to us when we consider that final phrase, so that you might know how you ought to answer each person. That phrase immediately draws my mind to what the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, which says this, Do not fear what they fear, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And here it is, Always being ready to make an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And how do we make that answer? How do we know how we ought to answer each person? End of verse 15. Yet do it with gentleness and with respect. So what does it look like when a Christian's speech is controlled by grace? What does it look like when a Christian's speech is seasoned with the salt that comes from above? It looks like a Christian who is communicating the truth to outsiders and is communicating it with gentleness and with respect. When we communicate the truth, it must be gracious. It must be full of grace. And by the way, just to be clear, I'm not talking here about taking the truth and reducing it down so it makes it look more attractive to the unsaved world. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is taking the truth and striving to share it with gentleness and respect so that should God so decide, outsiders might come to see by my words and by my spirit how attractive the truth already is. Because the most gracious words are full of truth. And the most truthful words are full of grace. And that is the biblical balance we must seek maintain. As we talk to men about God for the glory of Christ, we should purposely strive to fill our conversations full of truth and full of grace. And you know what? If I was just to leave it at that and say, okay guys, go for it. (laughs) 
Um, that would be a very hard balance to keep, would it not? In fact, that's sometimes some of the arguments that Christians get involved in, don't we? Right? Well, you communicated a lot of truth, but I don't know if you said it in a gracious way. Right? Or man, you might be gracious, but I don't know if you're sharing the truth. And we worry about that balance, right? Well, let me, let me show you how to solve that balance in your own evangelism this week. If you're wondering, am I communicating the truth clearly enough or am I communicating it graciously enough? If you're worrying about, am I communicating the gospel skillfully and wisdom towards outsiders? Am I losing the biblical balance? Here's the solution for you. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, and He is full of what? Grace and truth. You want to make sure you're sharing in that moment exactly what that person needs to hear? Share Christ! And they'll be hearing exactly what they need to hear. Share Christ. We need to, as Paul says in Colossians 1.28, proclaim Him. Him alone. Just consider what we've seen here in verses 5-6 through and ask ourselves the question, what is the best way to walk in wisdom towards outsiders? Is to proclaim Him who is wisdom from God, sanctification and redemption. What's the best way to redeem the time that we have with the lost? It is to proclaim the Redeemer. What is the best way to fill our conversations full of grace and truth? It is to proclaim Him who is the fullness of God's grace and truth. And what is the best way to know how to answer each person? It is to answer each person with the only answer that God has ever given to man for their problems, issues, or needs. It is Jesus Christ alone. Christ above all, the supreme and sufficient one. The fullness of God and the freedom, forgiveness, and fulfillment of all those who come to Him in faith. The answer is always Christ. Christ. Christ above all. So perhaps some of you are sitting here this morning and you are living lives that are saying nothing about Jesus. Perhaps it is because you have nothing to say. You're still an outsider. You have no testimony because you've never trusted in Christ. If that's you this morning, then I call on you today to come. Hear your Savior's call and come in. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And you will have something to share. For the rest of us, for those of us who are filled in Christ, we are filled with truth and grace. This week, in the strength of the Lord, let's purpose to share that great grace and truth. Let's purpose to share this great Savior to those who are around us. Not our opinions, not our perspectives. Jesus Christ above all full of grace and truth. Because this is how to exalt Christ by what you say to men about Christ, is to preach Christ above all. This is the Word of God from Colossians chapter 4, verses 5-6, through which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He returns. To that end, let's pray.
Father, we thank You for Jesus. Can't help but think, Father, that it's been over a year ago that we first started diving into this book. Week after week after week of glorious visions of Christ. Reflecting on who He is, His majesty, His wonder, His worth. Considering over and over again the death to sin, the resurrection to new life, the forgiveness and the freedom and fulfillment that we found in Him. What wondrous truths. What a wondrous reality we have in Christ. We truly are complete in Him. But Father, You have kept us on this earth surrounded by broken and empty people. How can we not share the healing and fullness that we found in Jesus? So Father, give us grace this week to walk in wisdom, to remember the spiritual state of those around us. And let us fill our conversations with the lost this week. Father, by Your grace, help us to fill them full of eternal purpose. Full of saving truth. Full of Christ-like grace. That others might come to know Jesus Christ as above all. We look to You in Jesus' name. Amen.